0: Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealedvineyard.com.
1: We start a new series today uh, that we're calling I Choose. Uh, and um, when life hands you choices... Uh, Choose wisely because decisions matter. A key thought that's going to drive us through our series is that we make decisions and our decisions make us. Meaning that decisions made over a lifetime begin to shape and form who we are. And who we are today is a result of the decisions, the choices that we've made yesterday, last month, last year, 10 years ago. Now, depending where you find yourself today, that might be rather frustrating. But the good news is, is that who you and I become tomorrow, next month and next year, will be a result of the choices or the decisions that we make today. Because choices, decisions matter. C.S. Lewis said it like this, that you can't go back and change the beginning. But you can start where you are, and you can change the ending. And so we're talking about, I choose... When life hands you choices, choose wisely. Don't just choose good, choose better. Here's what I know about every one of us, is that we all want better in life. We want this year to be better than last year. We want our children to grow up to be better than we are. We, uh, some of us want better jobs or better finances or maybe a better marriage or better grades or better friends or even a better walk with God. But better just does not happen On accident, and better does not happen by mistake. In other words, you sow and reap your way there. It is one wise decision, one wise choice after another, sowing into that small steps that eventually shape and mold you to being the person that you will become. It's a sowing and reaping principle. That means that if we want better, we sow our way there. It means that we will need to decide to let go of easy or convenient or even good, in order to embrace what is better. When life hands you choices, choose wisely. The tragedy is is that most of us pursue what we call the good life, and we hold on to good, and we miss what God has for us, which is often better, which means this. One of the thoughts that will drive us in our series is that we're going to have to let go of good in order to grab hold of better. The message, the The verse that will drive our talk today is found in Psalm 8410 that says this. Better, right? When life hands you choices, choose better, choose wisely. Better is one day in your courts or in the presence of God than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. Then dwell in the tent of the wicked. Now, if you're a person that comes first thing Sunday morning and you look in your bulletin to see who's speaking and what the topic is to determine whether or not you'll be napping during the message, uh, then you already saw in the bulletin, uh, it said, I choose wisdom was the original topic that we were going to kick off today with. And then Thursday, something began to happen. I began to feel this stirring in me that we needed to kind of go another direction and all Thursday night and Friday morning and all through Friday just feeling like uh, we we need to kind of move this a a different way. And what I felt very strongly was that there are many people in our church today who uh, are in a desperate, who are desperately needing a God moment in their life. And that there are people here who are desperate for God to make an appearance in their situation and and what we don't need is more information about God. And what we don't need is, is more knowledge about God. But what we need is a breaking in of the presence of God. And what we need is, is the presence of the one who sustains us and comforts us. And, and the, the, the one who is a peacemaker and a fear taker. And one who is a soul soother and a storm smoother And today. And all of since Thursday on, I've been praying that the presence of God would make an appearance in your story today because I believe that there are many of us who are desperate for God to make an appearance in our lives. Now, I'm not talking about the omnipresence of God, right? Uh, There's a difference uh, between saying that God is everywhere and saying that God is here and God is with us now. Now. The, the, the uh, original uh, is the, the former is kind of the default of most Christians, where we say, "Well, God is omnipresent, and His presence is everywhere, everywhere, which is true. But we're just not talking about the presence of God that is kind of ethereal out there somewhere looking after us. We're, we're looking for the, the personal presence of God. Scripture seems to be more interested in the personal revelation, the personal presence, and the personal transformation of God when he comes upon the people that he loves. And so we're not just looking at out there, God is everywhere. We're looking for God's presence to show here today. The story of Scripture, it begins and ends with the presence of God among us, all the way from Genesis to Revelations. What we need is not a general concept of God's presence, but we need him here with us today and now. And so I've changed uh, the message from I choose wisdom to uh, this I choose uh, a day with God or the presence with God. Listen to our passage again. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. When life gives you choices, choose better, choose wisely. Join me as we pray. Lord, uh, we're just praying, even as we were singing, that you're the reason that we've come. You're the reason that we're here to... Understand your love for us, but not just have a knowledge of you and, and just an understanding, but we want to experience the personal presence of God breaking into my story today. And I believe that there are some who are desperate for that today, desperate for you to show yourself and to bring hope and peace and direction and purpose. We invite you, Spirit of God, to rest upon us as we look into your word. Amen. The psalmist in Psalm 84 says this, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. Now listen to what he says and listen to the desperation in his voice. He says, My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. Now, anytime that you see the courts of the Lord, understand that it represents the presence or the dwelling place of God. All throughout the Old Testament, uh, the the dwelling of God or the the presence of God was housed in what was the tabernacle, which was a tent, and then later was moved into a permanent structure uh, in Jerusalem known as the temple. And even when Israel was a nomadic wandering group, God told them how they needed to set up camp. Now, they didn't set up and bust down camp every day. Sometimes they stayed in the same place for months or years at a time. Remember, they had 40 years wandering in the desert. And God told them how they needed to set up camp. And he was very specific where he said, in the center of camp needs to be the tabernacle or my presence, where my presence dwells. And then you build the rest of the tribes around the presence of God. And the imagery was very clear that at the center of your existence is my presence. And so the tabernacle, the temple later, contained different rooms, and in the, the, the back of it was a place known as the Holy of Holies that contained what was called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, a lot of you, your understanding of that is through Indiana Jones, uh, and, but the Ark of the Covenant symbolized Israel's special relationship with God, and it represented the presence of the manifest presence of God. It was stored in a place called the Holy of Holies. You didn't have access there once a year a high priest got to uh, enter into the Holy of Holies, had to go through uh, protocol and various cleansings and because it was it represented the presence of God in that place. And so when the when the when the psalmist says that my soul yearns for the presence of God or for the courts of the Lord, what he's talking about is to being in the temple or being in the tabernacle where God dwells. And the courts of the Lord was saying that, I want to get as close to the presence of God as I possibly can. Now, there's a lot that can be said about the temple system, but for our study today, understand that it represented the physical manifest presence of God and was largely how God interacted with his people. So the temple courts. Was was getting as near as possible to the presence of God. Now listen with that in mind. Listen to what he says again. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place, God, that my soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. It faints to be in the presence of God. He says, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Now he's giving us a peek inside of his heart and his desperation not just for a knowledge of God or an understanding of God, but to actually experience the presence of the power of God. Now, we miss the meaning here where it says, my heart and flesh cry out. It really is more of a guttural scream that he's talking of, that I'm shouting at the top of my lungs saying, I need the presence of God in my life at this moment, that I'm yearning for that in such a strong way because of, well, and this case and in in many of our cases, because of where we find ourselves in life today. Now, let's remove the spiritual masks, all right? This verse seems really odd to us, especially if you're a dude, right? Because there's nothing macho about this, my soul yearns. It's like it came out of a notebook or something like that, right? My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God, and we look at that and we think, that's just a little weird. This verse is foreign to most of us. I mean, when was the last time that you described yourself as as, as yearning and fainting for the presence of God that you needed it that bad, that there was a guttural shout of asking for the presence of God to break into your existence? How often has that been your story? How often do we resonate with, Verse 10 that we get to later, that says, "Better is one day in your courts and a thousand days elsewhere." When life gives you choices, choose better. How many of us would consider this is better? And so the question we have to ask ourselves today, with no masks, do we really believe this? And if I really believed it, wouldn't I be pursuing that presence more than I am? See, I know why I don't, because years before I met Jesus, I was already in love with someone else. I came to Jesus when I was almost 15, and so so before I fell in love with Jesus, I already fell in love with myself. And my agenda, and my plans, and my heart, and my vision, and my life, and my purpose, and and everything, and my comfort, and everything that I love, and even after I gave my life to Jesus, my heart has a tendency to pull me back to my first love, which is myself. And so perhaps the reason we don't yearn for the presence of God is because we've convinced ourselves that a little bit of God mixed with a little bit of myself is actually okay. Now, here's what I believe today. Some of us are going to leave with ratios intact, and the ratio may look where where, where it's 30% God, and it's 70% me, and that's just the way that I've always been. Or maybe you're 50-50, or maybe you're 60-40. It's 60, God, and 40% me, and it's mixed together. And some of us, we're going to leave with that ratio where where God just kind of being there somewhat is going to be okay for you. And then there's going to be some of us that are going to say, this just isn't working for me because there's some of us here today i believe some of us where your life is in a crisis and everything that you know right now is being challenged and your soul is being crushed and you sense the attack of the enemy that is coming against everything that you hold sacred, and you're losing sleep, and you're losing hope, and you know more than anyone else that a little bit of God isn't going to get you through. And you know that a little bit of God just isn't going to cut it, and a little bit of God isn't going to give you what you need, and you know more than anyone else. I'm speaking to you today. Maybe your soul is stained. And that little thing that you do, that you played with and thought you could contain, and you thought you you, you could kind of keep it in a nice little box, that suddenly it started to get out of control, and it's not playing nice anymore. And now that little thing that you do, sin thing that you do, is beginning to grow, and it's about to overwhelm you, and it's about to take everything that you hold as dear. And you know more than anyone else that a little bit of God will not get you over this temptation and will not bring the victory that you need. Let me talk today to some of us who are fighting tired. And you've been in the fight for so long and you're exhausted and you're swinging and you're swinging at the air but you're still fighting. But every day is a challenge just to stay in the fight. And for some of us, every day, is a challenge to just stay alive. And you have to convince yourself to get out of bed, put your feet on the floor, and dress yourself and move forward because there's something in you that just wants to give up. And you know more than anyone else that a little bit of God isn't going to make it for you. I'm speaking to you today. The psalmist says... Verse three: that even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow, a nest for herself. Now it's interesting that that the psalmist uses a sparrow because Jesus used it in in Matthew ten when he's sending his disciples out into a rather hostile situation, and the disciples were fearful for their lives and their safety. And Jesus said, "Let me ask you a question: How many sparrows can you buy?" And he named the lowest denominator of of, of, of money. And because sparrows were cheap and they were plentiful, and and then he said. But yet a sparrow cannot fall from the sky without God not seeing it. And then he says, are you not worth more than a sparrow? It's interesting how he kind of pulled all this in as he's asking uh, the disciples this question. In his statement, the, the sparrow is seen as a symbol of insignificance, right? We see it several places in Scripture. And yet Jesus says, but God is intimately acquainted with the plight or the story of the sparrow. And it reminds us of those of us who look upon our lives with diminishing value or who view their uh, their contribution to humanity as being inconsequential and who believe that maybe the world might just be better off without you. And so the psalmist writes this idea that even the sparrow has found a home in the presence of God, meaning that even the insignificant, quote, find rest and find a place in God's presence, that even the timid and the fearful find security and the forgotten and the passed by find meaning in the presence of God. And it is to the marginalized and to the banished and to the expelled and to the relegated and to the demoted and to the failures that God invites into his presence and says, Welcome home. This is where you need to be. So I says, look, even the sparrow, you remember the sparrow. Nobody even cares about the sparrow. But even the sparrow, as insignificant as it is, finds its home in the presence of God. He goes on in verse 6, says, blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. And then he's going to begin to explain that something special happens in the heart and the soul of those who dwell in the presence of God, and this is important. He says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are set on a pilgrimage. Now, the pilgrimage is um, every uh, three times a year, every Jewish male had to go to Jerusalem uh, and make a pilgrimage, pack up their stuff, kiss, kiss the wife and the younger kids goodbye. Before Uber, they hit the bricks, right? And, and they, 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 they went to a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship God. Three times a year, regardless of where you were, this, this is just what you did. And, and the, the author of the psalmist says, blessed are those whose strength is in, is in you, whose heart is set on a pilgrimage. And they're making a journey to worship, to be in the presence of God. And then he says in verse 6, and they pass through the valley of Baca. Now, the psalmist is painting a picture here for us. Uh, this valley was also known as the Valley of Tears or the Valley of Weeping. It was a, a dry and a desolate place. They had a, a tree whose resin dripped from it uh, that looked like tears, and it was known as the Valley of Tears or the Valley of Weeping. And The psalmist is painting a picture that we all know far too well that life is a roller coaster. And that there are times when life is smooth and life is easy, and then there's other times seemingly out of nowhere when you're thrown into the valley of weeping and you didn't see it coming and you don't know how you got there, but you wake up one morning and the rug has been pulled out from under you and you are in your own valley of tears. And some of us are there right now. And you... You feel it right now. I'm I'm trusting that the presence of God is just resting on some of you right now. Because you're in your valley of tears. I don't want you to fight it. I just want you to ask for more of God who wants to meet you in your valley of weeping. Let me just ask you to do something. If you feel comfortable, maybe you just put, put your hands on your lap. Maybe just lift your hands up just as a symbol of inviting the presence of God. I encourage you to just kind of close your eyes for a moment. We're going to ask you to just think of something with me. Like, Don't worry about who's next to you or who might be looking. Who cares? I think this is an ordained moment. For God to meet with you. Would you just picture your valley of tears right now? Maybe you say, well, I'm not in the valley, but maybe there's someone that is, and you you could spend this time praying for them right now. But would you picture yourself in your own valley, in your own wilderness, in your dry and desolate place, in your own valley of weeping? You know the terrain all too well. Where is Jesus in that picture? Where is Jesus in your valley of tears? Can you see the presence of God that's drawing near to you and, and, and pulling you on and pushing you out and leading you forward? Just just stay in this moment. Where is Jesus in that picture right now? David found himself, just, just you can keep your eyes closed if you'd like. David found himself in his own valley of tears. Life was hanging by a thread. And he wrote of God's proximity and response to his pain. Let this rest on you. where David said, you keep track of all of my sorrows. And you have collected my tears in a bottle. And you have recorded each one of them in your book. And this I know, God is on my side. The proximity of Jesus in your valley of tears is close enough to collect your tears. David is saying that, that this I know for sure, that God is not, is not indifferent in ignoring my suffering and my pain that he is actually close enough to collect my thoughts, to collect my tears, to collect my sorrows, that it does not pass him by and it does not escape his eye. Now I speak this next part over you. It says, when they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs, and the autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. Rain is often a picture of the Holy Spirit kind of falling. It says that the presence of God, even in your valley of weeping, can turn the dry, desolate place of death into a place of life. And then the psalmist says this, that they go from strength to strength. And this is an odd statement because usually we go from either strength to weakness or we go from weakness to strength. But he says, no, no, no. When, when, when the presence of God meets you and, and is so uh, uh, wrapped itself around you, that they will actually go from strength to strength. He says that when you come through the valley of tears, you have a new season and you're clothed in blessing. saying that each time a difficulty is surmounted, it adds a new and fresh courage and vigor to your faith. Every obstacle you overcome only adds a new dimension to your faith. And the enemy wonders why you keep getting up and why you won't stay down, but it's because the presence of God continues to strengthen you, that you don't move from weakness to strength, but that the presence of God keeps you moving from strength into further strength. And what some of us need today is to be strengthened. Listen to the words of Isaiah. He says that he, God, gives strength to the weary. Are you weary today? He gives strength to the weary, and to the one who lacks might, he increases power. He says that youths, though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly. He says, yet those who wait upon the Lord, they will gain a new strength, and they will mount up with wings as eagles. And they will run and not become tired. And they will walk and not become weary. And Paul had such an understanding of this. In the New Testament, where he says, look, when I'm weak, then the Spirit of God in me is strong. And he said, therefore, I will boast about every weakness that I have because something happens in my weakness. I am strengthened through the presence of God. Now, where is Jesus? Where is God? In your valley of tears. The psalmist writes, Psalm 84, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. He says, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield and bestows favor and honor, and no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So throughout the entire Old Testament, in order to be in the presence of God, you had to go to the temple or the tabernacle of God. And then the New Testament flips all that. Look, we'll put up 1 Corinthians where, where, where it says this. It says, for the Lord... Uh, next one, please. It says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? See, there, there's a switch that you, didn't ha- you don't have to go somewhere to find the presence of God, but the presence of God is in you because you are now the temple of God. Where is the presence of God in your story? Just pray with me. And we're going to wait. And we're going to invite the Holy Spirit. And we're going to invite the presence of God to find you in your valley of weeping. Just be open to the moving of God. Look, one of our hills is that we don't wear masks. So let's not pretend. Let's not play the macho stick. Let's not, you know. Let's just be open to what God might have for us right now. Morgan, you can come up, please. Holy Spirit, rest upon us, and specifically, would you rest upon those? who are struggling right now? And would you fall upon those who find themselves in the valley of weeping and in the valley of tears? And would you begin to surround them with your presence? Just invite the Holy Spirit. Just invite the presence of God upon you. you listen to the whisper of God that says be still and know that I am God would you be still and know that I am God I'm going to ask something very bold if you're just sensing and you need and you're desperate for the presence of God to surround you, would you, would you stand? Mm. Spirit of God, I pray you would meet each person here right now. Would you show them the presence of God in their valley? Would you show them the proximity of Jesus who is near to them? In some of our church, I need you to just look around you and I want to ask that you would pray for somebody close to you. And I want you to pray in boldness and pray in faith. I want you to speak faith into them and speak hope into them i want you to speak life into them and pray for the presence of god to come lord we choose better today we choose better is the presence of god one day in your presence than thousands without you And I pray for some who are here and they're just not sure and they're wrestling with this thing of faith and wrestling with this idea of God's love for them. Would you convince them? Would you convince them of your vast affection? bless you today, church. I bless you that the face of God would smile upon you. And I bless you that the hand of God would rest upon you. I bless you that the ear of God is always open as it is, always open to hear your cries. The eye of God is always upon you. And I bless you to meet with God in your valley of sorrow that he would bring streams of life to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I appreciate you praying with our church family. And uh, if no one's got to you, you can stay standing. I want to make sure everyone's prayed for. Um, This week, seek out presence of God for you and in your situation. Look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you.